God is good. And all the time, God is good. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning at First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church. Uh, if you're worshiping here with us in this building or whether you're at home, just want to take a moment, just welcome you into this space this morning as God has gathered us into his house, into his presence, uh, that we may worship him, that we may glorify his name together. Uh, just a, a, a note, just a, a reminder, um, something you're probably aware of, but if you're in this space, we just ask you that you refrain from singing at this time, but to join us in humming together and even dancing is uh, encouraged. Uh, a message that maybe we as Reformed people need to hear a little bit more often. Uh, it's okay to worship God with your body. Um, so let us uh, just read together the, this call to worship, and I don't believe the screens are working right now, so we won't do this responsibly. Um, perhaps at home uh, you, you have this on your, your screen so you can join uh, with us in this. But here our call to worship from Psalm 95. Come, bow down and worship. Kneel to the Lord, our Maker. This is our God, our Shepherd. We are the flock led with care. Let's stand as God's people and hum together the words from hymnal 430, You Are Mine. And you may feel free to use the pew hymnals.
As we worship God together, he meets us in this place and welcomes us into his presence with words of grace. Receive these words of greeting this morning. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are greeted into God's presence, and so we turn to each other uh, and greet each other also with this, this peace that God gives to us. And so we may not be able to give each other a handshake, but please wave. Um, yeah, and, and whether you're at home, maybe that's a text message or a Facebook message, just wave to each other, the peace of Christ be with you and also with you.
You may be seated. We come to the point in our service where we come before God and, and He invites us to, um, to take our masks off. Not our literal masks, but the masks of our hearts. It's an amazing thing that, you know, we get used to wearing these things in public and then when somebody doesn't wear it, we, we feel vulnerable. And God invites us to be vulnerable before Him in a time of confession. That song we just sang, do, do, we, do we believe we are who God says we are? And that's what confession is all about. It's about being honest with Him and coming before Him in our, our true selves, risking it for the words, I love you. So let's, let us come before God vulnerable in a prayer of confession together. It'll be on the screen. I invite you to join me in this. Dear Jesus, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Please forgive my disobedience. I want to be a Christian in my actions. Please forgive my bad choices. I want to be a Christian in my words. Please forgive the mean things I say. I want to be a Christian in my whole life. Help me to be more loving to you and to others. Amen. Let's sing a song that, that assures us of God's forgiveness as he meets us in our confession. How deep the Father's love for us.
his wounds have paid our ransom. And that's the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven. And so people of God, I, I just encourage you, take hold of that forgiveness and live as people of God. And how are we to live as, as forgiven people? Well, God gives us the Ten Commandments that we should know how to live. And he gives these commandments out of the context of redemption. Right? It's not a... When, when he doesn't give the Ten Commandments as a condition of saving Israel from the oppression of Israel. It's out of gratitude for what he's already done. And so that's the, the, the attitude that we should have towards them. And so I invite you to read this call to holy living together with me. God gave us the Ten Commandments that we should know how to live. God commands us not to have any go- other gods. We should not value anything, not money or popularity or success, above God. We will love and trust God above all else. God commands that we should not make idols. We should not give more value to anything that people make than to God. We will worship only holy God whom we learn about in the Bible. God commands us not to take his name in vain. We should not curse, swear, or use bad language. We will only use the name of God with respect. God commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy. We should not treat the Lord's day like every other day. We will have special times of rest and praise God with his people. God commands that we honor our father and mother. We should not be mean or try to make those in authority, including our parents, angry. We will respect and obey those whom God puts in charge of us. God commands that we not kill. We should not try to hurt other people. We will help others in need. God commands us not to commit adultery. We should not think disrespectful thoughts about others. We will keep marriage pure. God commands us not to steal. We should not take what does not belong to us. We will be honest. God commands us not to lie. We should not say untrue or even hurtful things about others. We will build others up with our words. God commands us not to covet. We should not want what others have. We will be thankful and content with what we have. We do our best to obey God because we are thankful to God for his many gifts to us. Good morning. I invite you to, it's my privilege to invite you to prayer this morning. My name is George Van Campen, one of the elders here. I think I know most of you here and hopefully most of the people at home as well. Um, but it's, uh, it's time to just go to God in prayer. So I invite, I invite you to pray with us. God, our Father, we come to you today as a people who are committed to worshiping you in our homes and in this building space, giving you all praise and honor and glory. 
Lord, in the midst of a tumultuous time, we take comfort and are encouraged that you have all things in your powerful and loving hands. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit will speak to us and show us the way as we walk through uncertainty, anxiety, and sometimes even fear of what is to come. Lord, increase our faith so that we can face each day with confidence, knowing all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, give us eyes to see your purposes and courage to act on what you show us. Father God, in the book of Proverbs, you tell us to take hold of your words with all our heart, to keep your commandments, and to get wisdom and understanding, and not turn away from your words. By your spirit, we ask for help with this. Father God, we thank you for the people and the communities you have placed in our lives. Show us how we can be a support to each other. And Father God, for those of us who do not have a complete support community, community, we pray that you will fill in the spaces that are needed. Thank you for the people of First Hamilton CRC. Lord, lead us by your spirit to be creative. Show us as a community how to be your church during these transitioning times. Lord, please be with those who are not able to be or do not feel comfortable returning to this physical building to worship. May we find true and meaningful worship in our homes. May we find a community of believers to encourage and build us up and to the people you desire us to be. Lord God, today we especially lift up to you several members of our church who need your help. Please bring health and healing and strength to Anne Veenstra as she recovers from a recent fall. We also ask the same for Evelyn Dyke as she too is recovering from a fall. Please give Jack encouragement and all that he needs while he cares for Evelyn. Lord, we give you praise and thanks that John Shalwike has been able to return home from the hospital. Please continue to strengthen him and reassure him with your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we also pray for your peace that goes beyond our understanding for all of us that are going to be returning to school uh, very soon, this coming week or in weeks. Lord, please give the students, the staff, the teachers, and parents hope and encouragement as they make this transition. Be with those who have decided to continue their learning remotely and online at home. Lord, please take away the anxiety that comes with returning to school during this COVID time. Keep us safe and healthy. Help us to discover an even greater and larger knowledge and sense of awe of who you are and your world through the studies that we'll pick up this year at school. Lord, as we look around the world, as we listen to the news, scan our social media feeds, we see much social unrest, racial injustice and hatred, economic and job uncertainties, uh, hateful and harmful political fighting, and increasing environmental calamities. Lord, we pray for your peace and for your healing to blow throughout your creation. Lord, you have won the battle on the cross. Lord, we just ask that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And may your love abound in us more and more and more to your glory and praise. So let it be. Amen.
Ezekiel 33, verse 7 to 11. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 33 to 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decree, that I might follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your command, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant, so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. This is the word of the Lord. Romans 13, verse 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will warn them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you find on earth will be found in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose.
Imagine a family doctor who has a patient, someone they've been seeing for a long time. There's a mutual relationship there. There's a trust. This doctor sends the patient for some typical tests for a person the patient's age, and the tests come back showing that there's something wrong. Something needs attention. There is a diagnosis to be made and a treatment to follow. Now, should the doctor tell the patient? I mean, what if the patient gets upset at the news? What if the patient becomes depressed by the news of hearing that there's something wrong with their body? What if, what if they don't take it well? No, no. We all know that if the doctor really loves the patient, if the doctor wants to serve the patient and their health, if the doctor wants to be even faithful to the vow that they made at the beginning of their medical practice, they will be honest with the patient. They'll confront the patient's health issue and treatment op options. And we would agree that sweeping it under the rug wouldn't be the loving or caring or faithful thing to do. What if dealing with sin was thought of in the same way? What if dealing with sin in each other was actually a key way that we showed love to one another in the church? What if it was a way that we showed our commitment to each other? If we care about the spiritual health in one another, we should also care to listen to what Jesus says to us in this passage about dealing with sin. It is a touchy topic, but it is one of the most important ways that the church cares for and builds each other up. And so let's look at this uh, carefully this morning. A few things, three points. To do what Jesus is saying in this gospel passage this morning, we must know sin. First, we must know sin. We must, second, deal with sin, and we must third, confront sin. We must know sin, deal with sin, and confront sin. So before we talk about the process that Jesus outlines for us in this passage in Matthew, we have to look at what sin is. See, because we must be able to recognize it in ourselves and in others. Jesus starts this passage off by saying what? He says, if your brother or sister sins, right? When we say the word sin, many of us think of individual actions. Things that God doesn't approve. You know, prayer I've said in the past is, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've said or done wrong. Right? It's a, it's a prayer of confession, but it's a prayer of confession about things. And while this is true, right, there are things that we do... Uh, one of the common prayers of confession in the church is, Lord, forgive me the things I've done and the things that I have refrained from doing that I should have done. Right? There's sin, part of sin is the external, but it's bigger than that. It's a bigger issue than just the external behaviors of lying, of cheating, of stealing. Soreen Kierkegaard, who's, who's a philosopher and a theologian, points out and defines sin in, in a much bigger way, in a much more biblical way, when he, t he says it like this. He says, um, sin is seeking to get an identity apart from God. Sin is seeking to get an identity 
apart from God. So what does that actually mean? Well, here I have, uh, I think, a good example of this. I have a, a toy drill. This is one of Austin's toy drills uh, that he absolutely loves. And uh, he uses it to fix his tractor. This drill runs on AAA batteries. And the reason I know this is because in the past year and a half, I've gone through more AAA batteries than I have in my entire life combined, right? This drill was designed to run on AAA batteries. If I tried to put AA batteries in, if I tried to put a 9-volt battery in, if I tried to put a cotton ball in, don't ask me why I know that this doesn't work, it will not run. This drill was designed to work only on AAA batteries, right? This is the way that Kierkegaard talks about sin. He says sin is anything in our lives that we try to run our lives on that's not rooted in a trust relationship with God, that doesn't flow out of a trust relationship with God. Sin is trying to run our life on anything other than God. So this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about idols. Idols are things that we make uh, into gods in our lives. The commandments that we read from this morning, um, the first commandment, that shall have no other gods before me. Now this broadens the conversation on sin because it becomes not just a bad thing that we can do, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, even good things can be looped into this conversation on sin. Good things like family, like career, even the law of God can become an idol in our lives and drive a wedge between our trust relationship in God alone for our identity. John Calvin puts it like this when he says, our hearts are idol factories. Now this is an important piece of this conversation on sin because when he says that, it, it lumps all of us into the conversation. It's not a matter of, of if we sin, it's what we sin. It's not a matter of if we make idols, it's what we are tempted to make into idols. And so if we desire to be like the doctor in the introduction to this sermon, a doctor who um, is able to see and treat sin, we have to recognize that we are capable, we are all capable of this, and we all do this. We have to be able to recognize it in our own life, too. If sin is such a big thing, and it's not, you know, all just small individual actions, if it's, if it's rooted in making something into a God, then how do we deal with it? What can we do about it? So this is the second point, dealing with sin. We can't just know sin or know what sin is. We have to be able to deal with it. What is the treatment for sin? When we confront our own sin or the sin in others, what do we offer uh, in the original Rocky Balboa film in the 1970s, um, before his fight with Creed, Rocky puts it all out there. You know, he's a boxer. He's going into this fight with this, this 
this other boxer named Creed, and, and, and he, he's trying to prove himself. He's trying to, to put it all out there. And, and he says this. He says, it doesn't really matter if I lose this fight. It doesn't really matter if the guy opens up my head either, because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings, and I'm still standing, then I know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. See, Rocky, in this movie, needed to go the distance. He, he was dealing with his sense of insecurity. His, his idol was going the distance with Creed because then he'll know he's not a bum. Many of us try to deal with our sin in the same way. See, God gave us his law, which David in Psalm 119, the, the psalm for this morning, you know, it, it just paints this beautiful picture of how the law is good, how it's, it, it leads us in the way of life, that it turns us away from selfish gain. It's a guide, it's a gift, but often we try to deal with our sin by following the law. We think things like, you know, if I follow God's law, if I stop doing this, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Then I know I'm a good person. We take the law of God and we try to make it into something that we're bound to, and it becomes for us an idol, and we begin to define our lives upon it. How do we measure up? We become tied to it, become enslaved to it, at the mercy of our moral performance. And then what if we fail? God's law was never intended to be followed this way. I mentioned earlier in the service that, that God gave the Israelites his law after he'd redeemed them from Egypt. It was to be lived out in a sense of gratitude for what God has already done. So we cannot deal with our sin by looking at our moral performance, the good things we do. And if we, if we try to do this, it'll paralyze us in a sense of fear of not measuring up. But another way that we, we try to deal with sin is by looking to the success of our career or uh, of our career or even our social performance or acceptance. You know, I know I'm a good person because this is the career I have. This is the job I have. I know I'm a good person because 250 people liked my, my Facebook photo or Instagram photo. You know, many of us are tempted to deal with sin by looking to the approval of others. This only ties us then to, to what others think of us. We become enslaved to what other people think of as successful. It doesn't actually treat our sin, our sense of insignificance. It, it just ties us to another way of getting meaning from, from other people, from outside of us. It doesn't actually offer us true joy or freedom. See, both of these ways, by, by relying on moral performance or by looking at things that in our lives that we've built for us, like career or social acceptance, can never offer us true joy. But the gospel offers us a different way of dealing with sin in ourselves and as a treatment for others. The gospel tells us that if we want to deal with our sin, we must first recognize that we are more sinful than we could ever dare believe about ourselves. That the jury's out. That we make idols, all of us. Can we dare to, to actually believe this about ourselves? 
and that there's nothing that we can do to work our way out of it. It's the one, that's the first thing we have to see is that we are more sinful than we could ever believe. But at the same time, the gospel tells us that we are more loved than we could ever dare hope. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross for us, for you, out of love. I love the, the line in the Sally Lloyd-Jones storybook Bible that says, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus there, it was love. Right? He could have come down, but he stayed this shows us that we are more loved than we could ever, ever imagine in Christ. He dealt with our sin once and for all. And so when we deal with sin by trusting Jesus and what he's done for us, first of all, it humbles us. And second of all, it redeems us. It roots us in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul tells us to clothe ourselves in Christ in this passage in Romans. If we don't, we're going to be led astray by other things that pull us and try to get us to put our identity in them. In Christ, our sin is dealt with. Jesus is the treatment for sin in ourselves and in each other that we're in community with. And so... It's only in this posture of knowing sin and dealing with sin that we can confront sin in ourselves and in others. And so a few things from what Jesus tells us on, on confronting sin or dealing with sin in the church. First, that Jesus here is talking about the church, right? This is members of the community. This is for us first Hamilton right it's not a guide for us to confront our unbelieving neighbors or friends or colleagues about the sin in their lives that's a different approach Jesus here is talking about dealing with sin in the church there should also be a pre-existing relationship between you and the person that that is in sin that you're going to confront hopefully someone who you deeply respect and who deeply respects you. And we shouldn't confront every sin either. We should confront sin only when it becomes this pattern that we see. When it gets in the way of our relationship with them, or when it's, we see it leading to a destructive path. Second, we have to see that this isn't an option. This is a command. This is a command for the church to, to be paying attention to the lives of other people so that we may offer love to them. This is out of love that we may deal with sin. Look at the Ezekiel passage to get more context on this. God tells Ezekiel if he doesn't confront the sin of the nation of Israel that he sees, his, their blood is on him. Right? We have, when we make these baptismal vows to each other, we tie ourselves to this community in such a way that, that we, are, we, we are a unit. We are, we are part of one body. And we are responsible to look out for and to call each other out in love, right, in the way that Jesus outlines for us. But this is not an option. This is a command. Notice, though, thirdly, how slow 
and respectful and intentional this process is. So first, go to the person on your own in a spirit of a shepherd to call them back, right? Not as a judge with a gavel. Not trying to prove that you're right, right? This is out of love. See, when we, when we go to somebody to confront or deal with sin, we also go recognizing that we could be wrong. That's rooting it in the gospel identity takes ourselves out of it because it's not about us. It's about Christ and his church and building up his church. And if this person doesn't listen, if the conversation is stalled, and you still believe this person is in sin, Jesus tells us to expand the circle. Right? It's still confidential. I mean, that's important. We work to maintain the respect of other people in our community. And so Jesus says, get one, but preferably two others to come with you. These other people will help you know, guide the conversation, give more flesh to the story, help to understand the context. Hopefully, the sin is dealt with. The person is called back into community in rooting their identity in Christ alone, right? That's what, that's what the goal is to build up the church. These one or two other people, who would they be? Well, you know, hopefully someone who also is uh, in, a, in a relationship with, with this person, or, um, you know, a pastor, or an elder, their elder. Remember that the goal isn't to be right, but to win the brother or sister back. But what if they still don't listen? What if they still are, are refusing to see the destructive pattern that their life is, is going in, well, then we must bring the issue to the church. And that doesn't mean getting up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and <laughs> making an announcement. To, no, this means going to the elders, the consistory, the people who have been called by God, appointed as, as spiritual leaders in the church to do this type of work. Right? There's still confidentiality in this. From start to finish, right? We see that this process is slow, right? It's intentional, and it's confidential. If the person comes back at any point, we rejoice, right? We welcome them back. But if not, Christ tells us that we must treat them as a, as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that seems harsh, right? Until we remember that, you know, how did Christ treat these people? Right? They weren't people who he just washed his hands of. No, he spent time with the pagans and the tax collectors. That's who he, he ministered to. And so that's the same way, right? From start to finish in this process, we never give up. Never give up. We continue to go after and deal with sin. When Jesus talks about binding and loosing, what he's, what he's saying is, is that the church has been given authority to do this. This is, this is what Christ has empowered us to do. We may deal with sin and, and, and seek forgiveness because he has given us the authority to be his body. So we must never give up 
See, we may be like doctors to each other, treating each other's broken and misguided hearts only, only because Jesus Christ, the ultimate doctor, took our sickness upon himself. See, on the cross, Jesus took our sin on him. He was infected. And it killed him. So that we may be healed. This is the treatment. This is the antidote. Will we use it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that we are not hopeless in our wandering hearts, but that we have hope. There is a treatment, and that is a renewed relationship with you through Christ. Father, help us to see others in our, in our body who are struggling to grab hold of this identity. Help us to be careful and respectful and intentional in pointing out sin and dealing with sin in your church. Father, give us your spirit that we may do this faithfully as you've called us to. God, we need your help because we constantly make it about us and about our agenda. Lord, bring about humility at First Hamilton, that we may deal with sin in the lives of each other and in our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we hum together the words of a good old hymn, uh, number 264 in the Grace Altar. It's called, Lord, I Want to Be a Christian. The words will be up on the screen. Let's sing this together.
may be seated. We're invited to God's table to be nourished and strengthened by partaking together in the meal that he gave us. So I invite you to join with me in words of prayer of of thanksgiving uh, to this, this meal that we can share together. Let's pray. Lord, with joy we praise you, for you have created heaven and earth. You made us in your image and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. With gratitude, we thank you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, for you came along us as the Word made flesh to show us your glory full of grace and truth. With peace, we rejoice in you, Holy Spirit, for you continue to lead us in all truth and you comfort us in our weakness. Therefore, we thank you, Holy Three in One, for the deep-rooted assurance that you've extended to us through this meal. We remember that in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, our sins are forgiven, that Jesus Christ will return as triumphant king, that the dead will be raised, and that all people will stand before you in judgment. We face that day without fear. For you, our judge, are also our savior and redeemer. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And pouring it out, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We say together, for whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord God, send your Holy Spirit so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, in the glory of your kingdom. Amen. Those who wish to be served, to serve, must first be served by him. Those who want to follow must first come and be fed by him. Those who want, would wash his feet must first let him make them clean. For this is a table where God intends to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new, so come, you who hunger and thirst for deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. Jesus Christ, who has set our table, now invites us to be guests at his. And so if you've been baptized in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, invite you to come and take Take and drink, for we are all invited to partake in the good gifts God has given us. And if you haven't been baptized, if that doesn't describe you, we still invite you to come forward with everyone else. Just mark yourself like this, and the servers will offer you a blessing. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. 
as we come up to the front, there will be two servers which I invite now to come forward. Uh, they're going to um, maintain all the proper uh, health, public health guidelines. Um, but uh, I invite you to just come forward using the side queue over here, or the side um, walkway over here. And then uh, when you've received elements, take them back to your seat. We'll take them together uh, all together at the same time. So just go uh, back to your seats using the center aisle.
Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus was poured out for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Let us pray a prayer of thanksgiving and praise, a prayer of celebration to God for this wonderful meal that He has made. Let's pray together. Loving God, you have given us a share in the one bread, one cup, and made us one with Christ. Help us to bring your salvation and joy to the world. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning, everyone. This morning, our first offering is for the budget. Uh, our second offering this morning is for the Short-Term Mission Fund, uh, which is a fund administered by the deacons and is designed to offer some financial support for members who are participating in short-term mission opportunities both locally and abroad. Uh, next week, our second offering will be for our missionary support. Currently, both of our supported missionary families are back in Canada. Alicia and Maynard Navarrete, who live in Ancaster, continue to work virtually with Nehemiah Center in Nicaragua, while Colin and Miranda Spencer, uh, newly recruited missionaries at WEF International Canadian headquarters here in Hamilton. Thank you. I invite you to rise to receive words of benediction this morning as God sends us into the world as changed people. May God the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together our closing song, uh, number 945, Send Me, Lord. <laughs>